today's Vaginance episode, we tackle the very sexy topic, what everyone's been talking about. We're sure you've been oversaturated with it at this point. (laughs) We are doing a deep dive into the Berkshire Hathaway 2021 annual shareholders meeting where we see Warren Buffett, Charlie Munger, and two other vice chairmen (laughs) who are both important (laughs) and one is the understood successor. Not the stars of the night though. Not the stars of the night. We watch them all discuss the, uh, the, well it's three and a half hours of Q&A where they answer questions and then they have an hour of some other bullshit and we watched it. We watched it all. All of us watched it all individually. (laughs) We put in 24 hours of without work. a single drink without sober as a damn uh, re- uh person holding a flag with a red bull a red flag and a bull <laughs> what is munger <laughs> sober as so- a matador sober as a matador <laughs> as a famously sober group of people <laughs> If we'd watched it together, we could have made it a drinking game. We could have. Missed opportunity. What, okay. That was the plan, and we didn't schedule it. We did yeah. not. <laughs> it just didn't happen. Um, yeah. What words would we have if we had taken shots every time they said it? Every time Charlie Munger. Morality. Every time Charlie Munger coughed. Yes. Or <laughs> every time you saw a fucking diet crazy. can on screen. Or just or the click of can. a can. Yeah, like, <laughs> Or, or if he like, candies, yeah. if he bit into the peanut brittle into the mic, oh, <laughs> that happened a couple times. Ugh. I think morality was the word of the oh day. Oh my god, morals, immoral. Well, also civilization. Yeah, Munger a civilized, said c- civilized society. a lot. Dignified citizens. <laughs> oh my god, I, he doesn't believe in them, so I don't know why what he's uh, on about. Apparently, he's very concerned about the lack of dignity our society has. He truly is. Uh, no, I was honestly very stressed about watching this. I don't know why. Because I, well, I do know why. Because I was like convinced that if I watched it, it would make me really mad at the world. Because it's like a bunch of rich white guys telling us how we should all think and feel. But I was actually more entertained than I thought I would be. Um, I Probably because it started off like... <laughs> they were watching before the, the Super Bowl royal wedding. Like, <laughs> yeah, it was like in now coming to you live the pre-show for Berkshire Hathaway's <laughs> annual meeting. And there was like graphics and like multiple hosts. It was just oh very, my god! It was like the royal wedding. My favorite part of guys. the intro was when they fully interrupted someone mid like answering a question. They were like, "Oh, sorry, sorry, we're starting, we're starting." Oh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> so more puppets on screen. <laughs> Um, I do think before we get too into like everything that happened, a lot of people pro- like myself didn't really understand what Berkshire Hathaway is, what they do as a company. I just know that Warren Buffett's like mega famous and wealthy and everyone sucks his dick. Yeah, so when I told someone I was watching Warren Buffett's annual meeting, they said, is that the actor? <laughs> And I said, I think you're thinking of Warren Beatty. And they looked it up. They're like, it's Warren Beatty. (laughs) (laughs) To be fair, in my mind, because I had built up Warren Buffett to be this like sex icon of finance. (laughs) 
Because I never actually Googled him before. I only heard old white guys talking about him. And every time they did, they got this like fangirl glee in their eye. Yeah, they got So hard. like to me, I've only constructed my idea of what Warren Buffett looks <laughs> like. Sexiest 90-year-old ever. So I didn't know his age. I, mean, I didn't know what he looked like. So in my head, Warren Buffett was a combination of Willie Nelson and Matthew McConaughey. Oh, oh, if I only. Was like, if, only. if only. That sounds like a dream. So when I saw him, I didn't realize it was him talking for the first like 30 minutes I was like I was like so what is Warren Buffett coming on oh my gosh yeah uh, this old dude doing the preamble he needs to get off the stage oh my gosh like who's this guy that won't shut up yeah, yeah so maybe we should do like a quick like intro to what who who what is Berkshire Hathaway what's the company what do they do what are they about and why would we bother watching their meeting? Yes, exactly. Which, and why should you listen and to this episode listen to this? about us watching this meeting? <laughs> what exactly? I was like, I think they're they an insurance do. company. Are they, are they insurance? But they're- somehow they own Pampered Chef. I don't know. <laughs> so Berkshire Hathaway, it's an American multinational conglomerate holding company. Uh, they basically own, they'll like write out fully owned companies uh, so, like, the companies that they own are Geico, Duracell, Dairy Queen, which I didn't realize was its own thing. I thought it was, like, I assumed it was, like, owned by Coca-Cola or something. And they own, like, a bunch of other companies. There's, like, five or six more companies, Pampered Chef, apparently. Which is an MLM, and I'm going to get into it. Yeah, we will get into that. <laughs> what, what is Long and Foster? Because it sounds oh, suspicious. And sex toys. Yeah, it sounds like... Like, yeah. Real but, estate. Okay, real estate. Oh, I typed um, slong and foster. <laughs> Get your head in the game. What's, do y'all know schlong and foster? You know what they sell? They do own Fruit of the Loom, so there's your schlong right there. Schlongs. Fruit of um, And diamonds. <laughs> they just own a bunch of diamonds. Um, they also have like majority owning in some companies and then they have a lot of minority old, uh, holdings in a bunch of companies which I think is where like the majority of their stuff money goes is to like minority owning like American stock, Expre- investment. uh, stock investments yeah so like they own like 26.7% of Kraft and uh, 18.8% of American Express they own part of Coca-Cola Bank of America and Apple and they talked about those different companies in the meeting as well. So that's like kind of what they do. They basically own whole or part of companies mm-hmm. and their shareholders um, because they they decide they make those types of investments into certain companies. Their shareholders receive um, profits from buying into their company by buying shares of Berkshire Hathaway. But also right? they also sell insurance. I'm pretty sure mm-hmm. they definitely do. They have yeah. yes, they have an insurance leg of the company, and they had like a, their own that own guy that kind of Ajit. runs it. Ajit is the Ajit, chairman yeah. for and the insurance. They part. also had a chairman for like the environmental section. It seemed or like there was one guy that Greg kept was talking just about. non-insurance. Okay, he was the so non-insurance. He just That's literally his any, title. He does any the rest kind of, of the business. okay. Cool. Yeah. Oh, and they were founded in 1839 by Warren Buffett himself. Uh, yeah, 182 years ago, which I did not realize their company was. Yeah, it was okay, almost so, as old like, as Warren Buffett. It was founded. <laughs> textiles. Yeah, it was founded as a textile manufa- manufacturing plant or whatever, but it was 
textiles until like 1962. Like for really? a yeah, that's it. They, they talked about did that in the meeting too. I, think. I didn't realize that. I mean, he yeah. talked a lot about like car companies and the history yeah, he of that. that. And I was like, "What are you talking about?" Yeah, no, he <laughs> talks about when him and Charlie were like hanging out and decided to make a move from textiles to oh. other things. Back in yeah, thirty nine. Back, back and in I was the, like, the early eighteen hundreds. Well, I thought it was crazy that Warren Buffett didn't enter the scene until like the sixties. For some reason, it seems like he does should have been around for a long time before then. But then he's the reason that they. Should shifted from they shifted like to insurance in addition to textiles but unfortunately textiles was dying so then that's when they branched everything out i thought that was really interesting they were textiles for over 100 years that is weird Mm. well okay so warren buffett obviously he's the chairman and ceo charles munger is the vice chairman and Greg Abel is the vice chairman of non-insurance operations. And then Ajit is the vice chairman of insurance operations. So when we talk about those people, that is who we're talking about. And those are and, the four people present yeah. for the stakeholder meeting. Yeah. And I think two days after the meeting was aired, they announced that Greg Abel will be Warren Buffett's successor. Yeah. Which Charlie Munger certainly teased hard during the... Yes, game. he did. Yeah. They talked about his death a lot. Mm. <laughs> did they? Yeah. Who, Buffett? Oh, Buffett. Yeah, they talked about Buffett's death a lot. Yeah. Which Munger's 97. He's an old oh, man. He is. Yeah. It is crazy how fucking sharp he is, though. It is. He's like, he's very well spoken. Quick as a whip. Yeah. Crazy. I mean, pretty much the the few things he said in the meeting were all cutting jabs that were like backhanded yes. sarcasm. And he just like. Every very, single thing he said yeah. was like. Yep. And I didn't know if I liked it or disliked it. It seemed it was quite off-putting because I like, agree. you didn't want to answer the question. You just wanted to be able to smirk after you said this. Yes. He, he very much like wanted to be the one that while. Warren Buffett was kind of like the uh, being like good you know cop, bad cop. Good, yes, yes very good cop bad cop like you could tell Munger wanted to kind of go off more and be like fucking civilization is crumbling and the government's evil but he was like holding back but he like wanted his state you know stance to be known his very smug kind of like whereas like I kind of hated it but I also was kind of like okay yeah I don't know it was just so it's quippy and not really yeah. getting into the depth of anything. Yes. And I was telling Becker earlier, I felt like what was annoying to me was everything they said, it was just like a fact to them instead of kind of like, oh, well, this could be like, this is from my experience. It was very much like, this is just reality. That is such a typical like thing to do, you know, like a person in their stance to just assume whatever they believe is just fact or reality. Well, it's because they see themselves and their worshipers see them see these two men as 100% rational beings. Yes. Like they don't equate emotion to investing. They are purely rational. It's very like and Rand objectivism sort of shit totally and which is hilarious because you like watch Charlie Munger get worked up over the word cryptocurrency and you're like oh yeah the purely emotionless rational man over here I thought that was very interesting like they're being held as this absolute pinnacle of rationality which is impossible no human can be that that's not a human trait yeah they also just some more facts they their net income last year was 55.7 billion which was a down year for them just the four of them um no for the oh, company the company yeah so like, that was like damn. relatively <laughs> low compared to like previous years so they they're a company that 
I mean, generates like billions of dollars worth of money annually. So they talk about that a lot in the meeting as well. But what I thought was also interesting, and they talk about this in the meeting as well, is that in, beginning in 2016, they, they acquired large holdings in the majority of U.S. airline carriers, and they dumped a lot of those during COVID when the economy kind of started crashing. They like dumped a lot of their airline stocks. And one of their investors or one of their um, shareholders asked them about that as well, why they did that. Um, which I thought was interesting because Warren Buffett's always saying like, don't like, don't panic, don't sell. panic sell. And that's exactly what he did. And so they kind of talk about that in the meeting as well. Did you see the like defense of it where they were like, oh, we did it so that they could be eligible for yes. the government bailout. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay. Yeah, that <laughs> yeah. is not at yeah, all. How kind case. of you. Yeah. <laughs> I just love that shit. Like everyone else panic sells because they're idiots. But when you do it, it's not for me. the betterment of civilization. Look, Warren. Because we thought the taxpayers should pick up that bill instead of the largest investor in that company. Yeah, that was a truly moral decision. So moral. Such Passing m- it off on all those morality. guys. Yep. Um, I did also want to talk a little bit about the pre-show. I don't know how much of that y'all watched, but it was hilarious to me. I watched all of it. Yeah, it was ridiculous. Like, they basically got, like, two hot women to, like, interview. Like, because they're like, no one's going to watch the pre-show unless we get, like, two hot women interviewing a bunch of gross old guys. But um, (laughs) Okay, the pre-show and the after show. I had this thought today. I was like, this is the most American thing ever to take finance reporting and turn it into sports. Yes. (laughs) What felt very sports-like to me. I did. Yeah. But there was one guy they interviewed that I thought was such a fucking asshole, but, like, so funny. In the pre-show or after? In the pre-show. There was definitely a guy who was an asshole in the after. Oh, yeah, no. The guy in the pre-show, he like... Okay, so his name was um, William Green. He's the writer of Richer, Wiser, Happier, Mm. (laughs) which I'm assuming is a book about how to succeed as a gross white man. Uh, <laughs> Your definitive guy sounds- on how to succeed as a gross white man. <laughs> it's definitely something my dad probably had on his shelf. Um, okay, so he just basically just fucking fangirls hard on Charlie Munger the whole time. Oh and he literally, one of his quotes, I wrote down a lot of quotes and then just wrote LOLOL next to them. <laughs> one of his quotes is, uh, we're talking about Charlie Munger, he can see the essence of what any subject is about before you can complete the sentence, which I thought was the most fucking bullshit statement. (laughs) Like, really? This guy is so fucking amazing that he can see the essence of whatever you little people are talking about before you even finish your sentence. That is insane to me. That is literally deity like level. I think I threw up in my mouth when yeah. I heard that. Yeah. I was like, oh <laughs> and my God. this guy and he truly believes it. You can see it on his little zoom face. Unfortunately he he's unfortunately he's not the only one. Oh my of, oh God. so many. So many. But he also said that one of the keys to Munger's success is that he focuses on what he calls Munger reducing standard stupidities. So when he talks about standard stupidities he means like panic selling and things that like, you know, kind of newbie investors might do, which is to me like really condescending. And I, I texted y'all a little bit about it, but it's just like, okay, first of all, standard stupidities. Um, the average person is not a fucking investor. Like most people don't know much about investing. So to call someone dumb for that is like pretty fucking elitist because 
I don't see you fucking teaching anybody about investing. Like they even said in the meeting, why would we tell people our secrets? Like they want to keep them secrets about how to like pick companies and like the best investment practices. They'll give you like little crumbles here and there, but they're not telling you how to really make the money because they don't want you to know. So then you're turning around and calling people stupid for not knowing like your secrets, your secrets, (laughs) like go fuck yourself. I actually, okay, so I kind of liked that little bit because he talked about um, it's a lot harder to be smart than it is to avoid being stupid. Um, He was like, if you can just avoid certain like pitfalls of investing, then you can be really successful instead of trying to be like the smartest investor in the world and timing everything perfectly. All you have to do is not make the dumb mistakes. And I actually thought that was pretty good advice. It's good advice, but it sounds a little condescending. Yeah, it was patronizing. It's it's, it's patronizing. Why do you have to? I don't know. I just I think before this meeting, when I have read that Charlie Munger says things like that, I didn't believe it was as condescending as I now believe after watching Charlie Munger's <laughs> delivery yes, of everything yeah. yes. he said. You're in the right. Meeting. He's wild. After I'm the just... meeting, I was like, oh my God, now that I can read his quotes in his voice yes. and tone, they have a whole nother level. Yeah, one of his quotes is literally the six the like the secret to six uh to succeed in life is becoming non-idiotic and living a long time. Mm-hmm. Like what? What does that even fucking mean? Like, what is your definition of non-idiotic? Like, I understand to you, it's different than 99% of the people on the planet because you have completely different experiences and knowledge that a lot of people don't have because their whole life isn't dedicated to fucking investing. But I don't know. It just like something about like that going in kind of rubbed me the wrong way where I was like, these guys clearly think that they are all fucking geniuses. Like the people that follow Munger and Buffett love that shit because they're like, yeah, everyone else is dumb, but we know the secrets. You know, it was like my dad. My dad did the same shit where he was like, you know, I know the investing secrets. So therefore, I'm not an idiot like everybody else. Mm-hmm. I also did y'all wa- look at any of the comments going on? No, well, I did were, at the beginning and then I gave up. I had oh, to hide it. God, there's too many. Stream. There was so many fucking trolls. It was basically like a mixture of people fangirling over like, where's Buffett? We want to see Buffett. Like, show him to us. And then it was just like, prove fucking, that he's alive. Like, gay, like rocket ships. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, literally people being like, AMC, baby. Yeah, fucking <laughs> going to the moon. Like, so many fucking games. Like, uh, our Wall Street beds and GameStop trolls. Just constant. constant. <laughs> Good job, boys. Yeah, it was pretty funny. There's a lot of Doge comments. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, I took screen grabs of some of them that I thought was funnier. Oh, someone said Berkshire schmuck away. <laughs> just, just like so stupid. <laughs> anyway, it was entertaining. So, yeah. So you had a blast is what I'm hearing. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah the pre-show was really great. <laughs> this is now your new favorite event of the year. Yeah. Oh, did y'all hear what they call it in like every finance article that talks about this fucking event? Woodstock for capitalists. Ugh. Didn't hear oh, that one place. God. That's around. I Ugh. know. Well, last last year, well, not last year because it was also COVID, but the last year pre-COVID that they had this in person, shareholders actually show up. There are 40,000 people there. <laughs> it's fucking insane. They probably were all on hallucinogens. I don't know. <laughs> I... Well, I'm tr- I'm struggling to imagine 
being like, I'm going to take some time off. (laughs) I'm going to go to fucking Omaha. Yeah, I'm going to go to fucking Omaha and watch two old men talk (laughs) for six hours. Well, they probably thought it'd be their last chance because one of them's going to die by next year. Why do you care? Like, watch it online. Because they fucking love Warren Buffett and Charlie Munger. It's a true, truly gods. So the reason we four people decided to sit and watch this six-hour meeting was because these two men who it predominantly showed are some of the like most powerful players in the market that many of us are invested in either actively or passively so we thought it would be good to educate ourselves on how they see the market and what they're doing and what their intentions are and their class a stock are is the highest priced stock in the history of the stock market at over $420,000, I think, right now. Yeah, and one of the pre-show interviewees said that it was undervalued at the moment. Did y'all see that? They they interviewed someone that was like, well, based off my calculations, which are the same calculations that Warren Buffett happens to use, uh, like as if he didn't fucking know that and he came up with it. But anyway, um, <clears throat> me and said, Warren weirdly came up with the it's same weird that you I do this thing where you take cash and investments per share, put it on an 11 multiple and then pretext earnings of the operating business. Uh, so, <laughs> in his evaluate valuation of Berkshire Hathaway's intrinsic value, uh, he calculated that it is worth four hundred and seventy-five thousand dollars per share. So he thinks that at four hundred and whatever twenty-five it is right now, or four twelve thousand, that it's a discount. So it's a buy for oh, him. Well, get in there. Yeah, get in there. <laughs> <laughs> I would like to point out that I think uh, early on before we get too much deeper that uh, I think all four of us had a lot we did not like about this meeting. (laughs) With that being said, Warren Buffett does have some good investment advice hidden beneath all of the things that we are about to bash. Oh, yeah. And I have that in my notes. There are definitely things I... I, uh, There are some things that I agree with, in my humble opinion, with Warren Buffett. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. But he's by no means dumb. I think that we can acknowledge the level of success that these men have had in the market over a long period of time. And we can acknowledge that some of their advice is really great and that they've also made major fuck-ups in the last few years in investments, which are Mm -hmm. kind of interesting. And I think because there is such a fanboy, fangirl situation where people view them as gods, it has sort of repelled us so far in the opposite direction that our views are just there to balance out the level of godlike worship. Yeah, that is happening. 100%. Like we it it I we will say it though I don't think it needs to be said that these 90 some odd year old men have dedicated their lives to financial education and we are novices in the finance world. <laughs> we understand that. That is not something that <laughs> yeah, don't say. It. You don't need to comment if you like. Yeah. Y'all yeah. Fucking no. We under we are providing some hot takes <laughs> for free. <laughs> Amateur women take down Warren Buffett. <laughs> I can just see it on Motley Crue. Oh my god, <laughs> Motley Fool. Motley Crue's like the Motley amateur Crue. finance that dog. Would be incredible, but no. Motley Crue. <laughs> <laughs> Warren Buffett's like that's my favorite band. <laughs> it's about time they weigh in on this, anyways. Oh my god, yeah, but also like you know. 
they're still humans. They're still people, and they still see the world through their their viewpoint, billionaire, viewpoint, which is a billionaire old white man. So, you know, it is, I think, important, as we've said before, to kind of give other perspectives. Like, they're not necessarily thinking about things from a, you know, a single mom struggling to get by his viewpoint of how the world should run. So it is important to kind of like critically take an eye to anything um, that people say that are in the spotlight that are, you know, moving markets and making um, big decisions that have economic impacts. So definitely also their views on how how Wait, our pick their spouses <laughs> well, <that too>. oh. <laughs> and on how um our healthcare system isn't so bad mm. it yeah. really highlighted how disconnected they are from what it's like to receive healthcare as a non-billionaire they're like when you're in the waiting room no one there's worried about how much it's gonna cost are you everyone there is worried about how much it's going to I think they even That's said why like there aren't even that suck. many people in there. Yeah. Oh my I was like, god. <laughs> they literally what? magical fucking <laughs> doctor's office yeah, are you at going? the billionaire ER there probably aren't that many people <laughs> yeah. in the waiting room. Maybe there the aren't that many ER of you. And in Santa Monica. Aren't that worried about the bill. Oh yeah. my god. And it said they, it, Warren was like yeah most people don't feel or care about the cost of healthcare because their employers take it out of their checks. Oh, and I was like, my oh my God, God, you're so right. And it, it's never come up with me. Never thought about it. Wow. I know. So, so like, oh my God. I mean, I mean, talk about worship at the altar of them. They worship at the altar of just business, just capitalism. Yes. Oh my business God. solves all problems. So many comments about capitalism is like the, yeah, yeah. the like end all be all, which I'm not disagreeing that capitalism can be great. Yeah. But man, it was just like. This was a church service. Yeah, it was a church service. And, and capitalism was their God. Yeah, well, capitalism then, was God. And they were definitely the Catholic priests. Jesus and the Holy Ghost. Which one's fading faster? And the ghost Munger's ghost. definitely the Holy Ghost. Definitely the Holy Ghost. Yeah, I do find the like worship of capitalism really interesting because I still stand by the view that Pure capitalism is a fascinating system, and it is not what we have in this country. Mm -mm. The overlap between government bureaucracy, legislation, mm -hmm. directing capitalism for better and worse in many ways mm -hmm. in this country is not pure capitalism. And so it's definitely um, set different rules for the game that you wouldn't have in just a capitalist market. Right. Oh, I think Charlie would agree with you very strongly on that. Bunker also talked a lot about China and China's version of capitalism. They were like, it was great. They took communism, they took capitalism, they combined it, and now they're all billionaires. <laughs> that was really Yeah, Charlie Munger is deeply anti-socialism, but he's kind of on the fence with communism. <laughs> <laughs> he respects the Chinese communism. <laughs> well, as long as you have a stronghold government who comes in and says it's okay, then I'm okay with it. Yep. Yeah. That was really interesting. Yeah. So, okay. When the meeting began, what really got me chuckling? Um, <laughs> Munger. No, sorry. Uh, Buffett starts going on and on about him and Munger's like love affair and how they like, you know, when they first met, uh, 
uh, Buffett learned that uh, Charlie lived in the same house since like he like for like the past sixty years. Like they literally have both lived in the same house for fucking. Like you're across the street from each other. Too, yes, right? and they go. He goes on and on about this, and then someone in the comments just goes, "Get a new house, bro!" Like in all caps. It's <laughs> just like fucking trolling them about this stupid house. Yeah, because they were talking to them about um, California taxes, right? Yeah. And they were like, well, we think they're really terrible, but we're not moving. Yeah. Um, to quote Munger, he literally said, I would not move across the street if it would save my children 15 million in property taxes. <laughs> was that Munger or Warren? It was Munger. It was Munger. God. I it, but didn't they like really bash on California? They live oh, in California, yeah. right? Yeah. They yeah, were like, like, what what kind of state runs it? To where all of your millionaires leave. Oh. Yeah, why would you drive out? Why all would the you drive out all the millionaires? Contribute to charity. Yeah, they said the ri- rich people are old and don't do crimes, and they donate to charity. Why would you drive out the wealthiest people? Oh, all wow. the young people are the one who do crimes, eh? Yeah, Just young isn't people it great are how wow. rich people don't do crimes? Wow. <laughs> I guess- I guess white oh. color crimes don't count in his mind. I guess they not. don't. Wow. Definitively. Interesting. Yeah. How because no morally, they're just not as bad. <laughs> right. Like stabbing someone for 15 bucks because you're starving, that's bad. But stabbing someone in the back for 15 million because you want even more. Perfectly that's fine. moral. Totally fine. It's I have a correction. Munger lives in California. Buffett lives in Omaha. Yeah, I think... Didn't they used to live next they door to each other? They used to live in LA yeah. together. And then uh, Warren and his wife moved back to Omaha. Okay, I want to know what this house is that he's lived in for so long, though. Because it probably wasn't his first home. Was he already super rich and bought a mansion and then just never had to move for six I years? I think that he just lives in a crummy old house. Yeah, look it up. A little penny pinching goose. I don't know. I tried looking up where he lived, actually. <laughs> I actually, I did Google it and I could not find his house. <laughs> <laughs> Why wouldn't he list his house? Why doesn't he for list us? it? It's really annoying. <laughs> Got a note. Tell us. <laughs> One of my notes was Warren Buffett starts meeting by uh, starts the meeting by introducing directors and uh, directors in painful detail about how he met them. It's boring. <laughs> and they're all men. Yep, and they all—he just literally just talks about where they live. Wait, we didn't talk about the seas candy stuff yet. Oh my oh. god, <laughs> the seas candy shit. It was weird. It was what? weird. With it. They just—it kept—they kept like advertising seas candy. <laughs> I took a screen grab and put it in my notes because <laughs> I thought it was so funny. Like, throughout the whole thing, they just kept talking about seas candy in the pre of- in the pregame show as well. Yeah, the pregame. <laughs> no, in the pregame show, I put showed lots of pictures of candy and shaking close-up <laughs> shots of Seas Candy stores. LOL. Yeah, and then and they like all had Seas Candies like with them and then, I don't know. Weird. It, it was just like, felt it was weird. weird. It was very weird. Look, as we learned, the Seas M- Candies have low overhead costs and high profit margins. I, yeah. <laughs> it's a good I think investment. that's the reason. But they rip off their customers and we love them. Love it. Uh, it had very MLM-y feel. I'm just going to throw it back. Well, that. isn't that very interesting? I can't get over that. I had no idea. That is crazy bananas. What? Seas candy? No, that they own it. <laughs> Do they have crazy bananas? Is I think that it's one of chocolate. Oh, <laughs> chocolate covered bananas. The MLM undertones. The oh. fact that they own an MLM company is going to continue to blow my mind. 
Why would they invest in MLM company? What's it about? What does it mean? <laughs> he won't tell you because it's part of their fucking secrets. Well, I've been reading. I've been trying to read about it. There's not much out there. They don't even talk about Pampered Chef. Pampered Chef doesn't even come up, even though in the Wikipedia, it's like the fifth company they list of them own whole, owning wholly. Well, because being at the top of an MLM is extremely lucrative. Yeah, they want the money. They don't care about morals. Stuff. <laughs> it is so fucking objectively exploitive. Yeah, exploitative. I was going to say expletive. <laughs> it is so <laughs> no you're right that was what was crazy to me was they kept talking about morals and like people kept trying to press them on it like what like what are the moral implications of owning insurance companies what are the moral implications of owning all these companies that you have yet you're like against nicotine or whatever but you own like shares in all these other companies that have moral implications the way that they answer is like they honestly don't see anything wrong Wait, with it like in their mind tobacco was a really good business Funny the story. best business he'd ever seen yeah. yeah yeah but didn't they sell out of it because yeah they his, didn't they didn't invest in it they didn't invest in it because he like at the time when they were thinking about it they were like met with the, this company and they were like oh they were great guys they talk about chewing tobacco and how their grandma lived to 90 chewing tobacco and we really liked them we were gonna invest in them and then i called my son-in-law and he worked for uh i forget it was like one of them he was like in the medical field or something he like worked for whatever some research research at the time and told me that it was actually really bad and i had no idea so we decided not to invest in it and that's like the one thing that like the reason why he still doesn't do it right like he just doesn't there's no rhyme or reason to why he thinks some things are morally okay and other things aren't it's just whatever benefits them and what doesn't well and well i don't know if that's necessarily true because he was saying they didn't invest in tobacco even though they knew it would be a good financial investment but what makes it interesting is this conversation was happening because someone asked why they invested in chevron um and so it was like if you see tobacco as an objective bad and you see gambling as an objective bad which oh boy do they (laughs) and they see a lot of things as gambling um it doesn't though he said gambling wasn't objectively bad well, I or he, he said, said it wasn't. A, he said it wasn't shameful. Said it, was human it, was a human it was human nature. Human nature. But like, they're not going to invest in a gambling company of like DraftKings or mm-hmm. whatever. But so someone asked, why did they invest in Chevron? Which most environmentalists or anyone who does science might argue is contributing to like negative environmental uh, impact. So they their response was like. Look, we don't, we're not scientists. We're not going to claim to understand global warming, unlike you social justice warriors, okay? Uh, we don't really know what's going on, so we don't think this is objective bad. Um, Munger anyways, literally said he thought it, yeah. he thought oil companies were great. Yeah, and I anyways, I want my daughter to marry he, oil. Yeah, yeah, would you? Oh my God. I think he <laughs> oh literally God. said the difference between us and everyone else is that we're just humble enough to not think we know know the right answer mm-hmm. we're more humble that's what oh munger my. said if Which i'm recalling correctly. if there's any word to describe those so men. humble so it's the humility humble. abounds mm-hmm. oh my god okay tell us about marrying a chevron well so this actually takes us back to where <laughs> the motivation to do this episode came from originally and it's because i listened to a different finance podcast um where they talked about the berkshire hathaway meeting but they are big 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 warren buffett fans so it was very it felt very one-sided even though it's two hosts and they have different views um they're different generations which is notable 
but really, they are truly Warren Buffett fans live and die. So I was listening to it and I sent the link to the podcast to everyone. Like, y'all have to listen to this to hear a man lose his fucking mind over this goddamn meeting. And he truly did. I re-listened oh. to it today. Oh. And I was like, this guy, holy shit. Anyways, he was going on and on and on about socialism and young people and what's morally correct and what's ethical. And there's a point in the Berkshire Hathaway meeting where the question I just brought up where, why are you investing in Chevron if you don't invest in tobacco and gambling? And Charlie Munger responded with, um, so if your daughter's getting married to a man and the only thing you know about him is what he does, would you rather her marry a man who works at Chevron or an English professor from Swarthmore? And that was the end of his answer. And like everyone chuckled like they knew what he meant. Yeah. And so the podcast I listened to, the man, the older gentleman who's one of the hosts, went on to explain in excruciatingly emotional, some would say hysterical. Oh, definitely. Men aren't emotional. Women are. (laughs) Gleefully vindictive. Like truly. Like every just like deep-seated impulse just was... Bleeding between his teeth. I was so uncomfortable for the first half of the second part of that podcast. I know. (laughs) Yeah. I wanted to leave the room. It was like being caught in a weird argument between the two people. The hosts are um, father and daughter, if that helps kind of contextualize. And they are both Warren Buffett fans, but certainly different uh, perspectives on life. So he was going off on how Charlie Munger was clearly making a, this was a huge dog whistle, apparently, that he is very anti-socialism and he is pro-capitalism. And he wanted his daughter in this hypothetical scenario to marry the, not just the rational businessman, he wanted his daughter to marry the ethically correct man and the man who works for chevron we know nothing else about him except he works for an oil company Mm -hmm. he is ethically correct and the man who's the english professor at the liberal arts college is ethically incorrect anyways that segment alone was like (laughs) is what sparked this whole episode we're like what the fuck are they even talking about and is this really what the two richest men in the world in this company are are talking not literally are, are talking about in their meeting so that's why we had to listen to it after listening to that insane episode it made me so angry just hearing that and then watching it again and that when that moment happened where he said that I wanted to scream like it's just so it it speaks to his world viewpoint on so many levels why are you bringing up this weird example where hypothetically you're talking about your daughter deciding her future it makes no sense like what are you even talking about this is a fucking investment meeting you're talking about someone's daughter getting married to a guy working at chevron hypothetically this also felt super elitist to me and y'all can let me know if it's just me but does anyone else not know what swarthmore I googled it i mean i uh, they talked about it in that episode and they talked about it just being a liberal arts college but i had never heard of it but it must be like it just felt very elitist like you picked this not common knowledge liberal arts university it literally sounds like i like when he said swarthmore i was like is that a word you're making I thought up it was to made sound up. yeah it sounds made up to sound to make fun of liberal arts college but <laughs> no it's a word <laughs> it's a word <laughs> it's a college well i also just didn't make sense to me because i was like how is that ethically like how 
how is your how is your view of the world so twisted that you think the person working at Chevron is more ethical than the liberal arts professor? So, exactly. I originally thought it was about money. I thought I, he was saying I would rather my daughter marry a wealthy man than like a poor college professor. See, and I'm like, how do you judge anyone by their profession? That is so single mind unless their profession is like oh a politician <laughs> i'm a coyote that runs illegally runs people and extorts oh. them across the border then i'd be like okay i'm probably gonna judge your character i thought you right. meant a literal coyote i was like where is this going <laughs> <laughs> for the sake of that argument even mating someone who's a coyote by trade you could be like who's they could- extorting them exactly they could them be extorted or they right. could be in a place where they truly think they're doing good right or they're right. bringing people to an you know like sure there's sure. no object this is not the world is so much but to them it is to them it's like that's the obvious answer and they just said it like oh yeah of course everyone sees it this way yeah and you're like well have is there a single woman in the room that would protest (laughs) yeah for them to be passing judgment on anyone else's morality is such that's the it's worst part of the whole thing. Well, that's the crux of it, isn't it? Yeah. That it's was ludicrous. the part that bothered me most, and it's literally the entire meeting. Yeah. Yeah. Because it's, it's not about what are they investing and what aren't they. Because, sure, the do, they know money, and we're not going to argue that. It's that they keep claiming these moral – they keep speaking as if they're these truly objective – all-knowing beings who are establishing the morality indicator and like this is where we land on the morality indicator in this industry and this and this and this and then the people who follow them see them as these like true north sort of compasses when it comes to morality and it's like if they didn't keep claiming this is the moral decision buybacks instead of dividends is the moral decision except when everyone else does it like (laughs) it's it's so weird that they just keep making these weird moral claims just say this makes us more money our shareholders uh, shareholders want us to make more money that's why we did this like they can't say that but again that's not even it because (laughs) that's not always true i know like you said, it seems almost random. Yeah. What they're choosing. It's almost like they're people with flaws and don't fucking know everything. What was the really good cryptocurrency quote? Oh, Munger. Okay. Well, oh my God. Well, Crypt- take it away, Julie. Oh, Munger starts by saying cryptocurrency is a financial product invented out of thin air. I la- I knew you were going to say, I was like, when I just heard that, I was like, ooh, Julie's going to have words. Okay, show me, show me a financial product that wasn't invented out of thin air. And also, cryptocurrencies are modeled after many other mm. commonplace, daily used financial products known as currencies. Yeah, kind of like how the Federal Reserve decided out of nowhere that they were just going to start printing money and deciding <laughs> inflation rates that affect the entire fucking economy of the entire fucking world like go fuck yourself go fuck yourself mm. mm-hmm. so that was one <laughs> <laughs> of course i hate the bitcoin success so this is supposed <laughs> to be <laughs> these people are supposed to be rationally assessing asset classes yeah but he hates the bitcoin success it gets under his right under his skin i don't welcome a currency that is so useful to kidnappers and extortionists well that's the only people who use it right i mean no one that uses cash extorts people (laughs) or kidnaps anybody so my one's ever asked for a briefcase (laughs) full of cash to (laughs) bribe someone with 
Yeah, my first thought, and I I ran this past Zach, I told him that quote, and he said almost word for word, the thought I had, which was, um, hello, the US dollar is literally very likely the most common currency of corruption globally. Mm -hmm. The US dollar is used, I would bet money on it. It's at least in the top three. Or would you bet US? Oh, Bitcoin more valuable. So I think I, I'd be willing to bet a Bitcoin that it's ranking in the top three currencies used in global crime and corruption because it is valuable everywhere. But if Munger says that it's uh-huh. not, then it must be. <laughs> Another point on that. It's so laughable to me that he thinks that's what cryptocurrency is for. So there, there are two things here. Criminals are early adopters of technology. They were the first to like massively adopt things like beepers and cell phones because they have great utility when you're doing crimes. So yes, early Bitcoin was heavily used by criminals because they are early adopters of technology, not because this technology was made for criminals. Second point. Julie's angry. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, oh, okay. So also the fact that it's used by criminals, he hints at the fact that the reason they use it is because it's like hidden money or untrackable or anonymous. And this is not actually true. It is more anonymous, but it is perfectly trackable. And the government can easily Isn't figure that like out the whole who, thing? who's is it was. That there's is ledgers? that everything, everything is recorded? Is a, is recorded. There's an an amazing podcast, and I'll put a link in the show notes. But there was an amazing podcast episode with Katie Hahn, who is on the Coinbase board, and she was a badass federal prosecutor who she, she was like on some of the early Bitcoin crimes because there were other federal prosecutors who were supposed to be tracking down the guy who started the Silk Road. Mm-hmm. And when they tracked him down, they started extorting him and they became criminals as well. And Katie Hahn was the one who found them out. Mm. So she like broke the case and tracked all these people through early Bitcoin when we didn't even have a lot of knowledge or anything about how you do that or blockchains. Like all of this was so new and she fucking busted them up. Wow. She's a badass. And so she talks a lot about the utility and the security side and the federal government mm-hmm. side and all of this about blockchain, Bitcoin and cryptocurrency. He clearly has no idea what it is or how right. it works. Th- that like, was the impression I got. I was yeah. just like, wow, y'all don't understand no. what cryptocurrency is. I, I can totally understand right. if you are an investor assessing whether it's an asset class you want to put money into. Right. But to just wholesale disregard the technology behind it is like being anti the internet in the late 90s. Yeah. Well, they clearly <laughs> It's made out of thin air. You know what I think it is though? I think they're co- I think they're covering their asses to make themselves look good because they're embarrassed that they didn't invest in it or like they still don't completely understand it and they're like, oh, "I don't understand it, so we can't invest in it." But that, and so they're wouldn't... just like backtracking and being like, "Uh, well, we don't, you know, it's morally wrong, so we're not going to invest in it." When like clearly you don't even know what the fuck you're talking about. You just don't want people to know you don't know what the fuck you're talking about. So that would make more sense to me if we weren't still so early on the adoption yeah. curve. Like institutional money has only just recently started moving scared, into though. cryptocurrency. I think they're scared. They have historically been late to the party mm-hmm. on some big things. So it wasn't that long ago that Warren Buffett swore against investing in tech companies. And yet in this meeting, he's lauding that Apple is a better company than Berkshire Hathaway when you look at the profit margins. And that's why they're investing so much money in it now. But he was late to the party. Mm-hmm. on tech stuff. So he's obviously going to be late to the party on this. It's just amazing the level of like vindictive tone about it. The other 
maybe best quote that Munger said was, I think the whole damn development is disgusting and contrary to the interests of civilization. I, also, I, I was going to quote that if you did it. I wrote that. That's down a great too. quote. That is. I'm going to put it on a I, tank top. I was. I, guess, I was like, we need this on a fucking like magnet, like a kitchen magnet or something. It's so funny. Contrary to the interests of civilization. Look, here's the thing. Frankly, I'm going to blame Becky Quick. The I think that was her name. The woman who said the questions out loud what i would never ask my if i had a 97 year old grandfather i would never ask him in front of a camera what he thought about cryptocurrency <laughs> and we should not have asked these old men that well, was share, wasn't it the shareholders asking this yeah question? it was the shareholders but she chose the question oh, no. the question was do you still consider crypto <laughs> worthless gold <laughs> i just mean like i just mean we wouldn't expect other 90 some odd year olds yeah. to answer this question in a reasonable way right and and i mean i'm saying I, I accept that these men are taking themselves as authority in finance so their responsibility is to talk about all things finance so i think they should be held accountable but i also think it was a very intentional like we already know y'all's feelings. We're going to make you say it just oh, so yeah. that maybe someone under 57 will listen to this. So oh, I yeah. feel like it was kind of a bait. I loved it, though. I, like, I know. Yeah, tell me how you really feel. Yeah, it's what we wanted. And they, yep. they gave it to us. It's great. And how many times? I mean, I guess only twice. But Charlie Munger, anytime we talked about anything that young people like, he would say, well, that's just putting a red flag in front of a bull. Yeah, yeah. he did say that. <laughs> and you're like, yeah, we know you hate flag. young people, Charlie. <laughs> it's just re- waving the red flag again. Oh, my God. Uh, on the other podcast that Becca had mentioned, it was interesting, the perspective of the father about the cryptocurrency thing there, because he's not, I don't think, super pro cryptocurrency from an investment standpoint. He's worshipping... Buffett and Munger, then he probably hates crypto. Right. right. However, his general tone, I haven't listened to any other episodes except for the ones around this where he is hysterical. He's not normally Men hysterical. Men don't get emotional, y'all. Please stop <laughs> is, assigning emotion yeah. to men. He's hysterical. He's gleeful. And it definitely has like an I've listened to too much talk radio vibe. And like weirdly, actively angry at yes. his daughter yes like <laughs> for cutting her off, shutting her down like i will not tolerate this dissent because you're wrong and i'm right you're that was the tone in the old. entire thing it was so frustrating and that's the tone that people like that follow munger and uh buffett have they want they want to you to hold them up as like see i'm right they charlie they munger and right. warren buffett uh, said i'm right so i'm right Social is bad. I'll fuck all of you young kids. Yeah. Okay. So he was pro cryptocurrency in one regard, which really gave me the like prepper move my money overseas talk radio vibe, mm-hmm. which was basically mentioning that the primary utility that they missed out on about cryptocurrency is the ability to move it over international borders without being tracked. Mm-hmm. And like I said before, that's not true. Yes, it is way easier to move over international borders than hard cash or other assets currently. Mm-hmm. But it is definitely trackable. It may not be recoverable, but it's not untraceable. So, like, even this guy doesn't have it right. Mm-hmm. And then 
my thought with like the contrary to the interests of civilization was that a major selling point of cryptocurrency is that it's possible to have a currency with fixed rules that govern the supply and the increase in that supply over the duration. So you can make the future value of the cryptocurrency a lot more predictable than deflationary currencies like the US dollar, which are manipulated by people and the rules about how much supply we have can change at any given moment based on the people in control. Mm -hmm. So cryptocurrency can be launched with fixed rules so you know what you're getting when you buy it which we don't know what we're getting when we buy the U.S. dollar, which I think would be in favor of the interests of civilization. You clearly don't want to shock Unless they subscribe to the belief that the government and the rich people know better than everyone else and should be in control, which seems to be the case. So kind of on that is, but like a little bit different, but it, I brought it brought it back to crypto for me when they were talking later on about, hey, can this company keep going when y'all die was essentially the question. And they were like, here's the thing, guys, we're decentralized. And that's why we're so successful. And I know. And I was like, oh, my God, guy, like they they don't even hear it. They don't even hear it. I didn't even hear that. (laughs) I mean, I heard that, but I did not queue up on it like that. Yeah. They were just like, we have so many subsidies. We're decentralized. We have a culture. So it's going to be fine. And they say this like this was two questions post crypto question in in between those lying the Robin Hood question, (laughs) which is also very sexy. The retail investor. Yeah. But yeah. So they understand the the benefits of decentralization for the like sustainability and continuation of a large moving organism Mm. anyway and that's that's what's interesting too though is that munger doesn't like the government he made many comments about how he doesn't and even uh buffett made some comments about his money right he'd rather his money go to philanthropy than the government and so they don't seem to have too much faith in the government but they do have a lot of faith in random savant philanthropists that are going to save us all which is the vibe (laughs) that i got we made all this money yes. so that we can divert it to philanthropic organizations yes. who can redistribute it the way it should actually be spent because yeah. y'all can't be trusted. No, that it. is exactly what they said. Like <laughs> uh, Buffett said he would prefer his money. 99% of his wealth is going to go to either the government or philanthropy. And he said he would prefer to go to philanthropy because he would trust individual smart people with it more than the government just to like pay off the debt like he acted like they were going to use that money to be like let's cut in through our debt that's a hundred billion off our debt like he literally said that he was like oh they'll just take it off the debt and i'm like what no one's taking money off the debt like that's not real (laughs) Also, (laughs) also he wrapped up that whole little rant by saying well it's basically in the voting population's hands where they want my money to go to based on who you elect. No, it's not. <laughs> <laughs> As if our votes change the tax policy of this country. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So I thought that was funny. I was just like, you, was I don't funny. think you really understand is <laughs> how everything works. Like, I know you probably understand a lot more than I do about how those systems work, but like, not enough to be able to say these things. Honestly, I don't think they're true honestly i think they live in such a different level of the system Mm -hmm. that they don't understand how the system works for the average population it just blew my mind that that you're right but it also just blew my mind that he thought that his hundred billion dollars would go to paying off the u.s debt why do you think that (laughs) and not straight into um 
pork projects for certain politicians so they can stay elected? Yes. That's a lot of money to I was have like, has for your that, friends. Have we ever paid off this debt? Has, <laughs> is, is there any kind of like... Okay, by the way, aren't they... Plan to pay off the debt? I don't... <laughs> the holding costs... Ever... I thought the debt was fake. <laughs> the, the holding costs on our national debt are like nothing right now. Right. Because we are forcing inflation at massive amounts so there's no incentive to pay it off if anything we're putting that towards the military so they can keep nuclear weapons so that we never have to pay off the debt (laughs) sorry i just had to look up who his wife was oh so he was married for 50 years to a woman named susan and for the last 15 years after she passed he's been married to a woman named astrid which is a really dope name for an old woman i just this is the first line of the description of Astrid, his wife, Astrian Minx is a Latvian American philanthropist and former cocktail waitress who is married to millionaire business magnate Warren Buffett. That is the most bullshit thing I've ever heard in my life. <laughs> Why would they describe her as a former cocktail waitress? That is not a description of a... That is some sexist bullshit. It is super sexist bullshit. Would you ever describe a man as like former barback? Right. Uh, blah, blah, uh, yeah, okay. Right. How many years ago are we talking? And how does that mean anything? Anyway, sorry, that's not off topic. Yeah. I just had it to, is. Yeah, she's not off, off. That is on topic. Um, she's gorgeous. She's seventy five, and she's really beautiful. Got himself a young one. Yeah, but like, I mean, I get it. She's gorgeous. Uh, what's her name? Astrid. Astrid Manx. M E N K S. Married two years after Susan died. Apparently, Warren Buffett had an open marriage to his first wife. What? I was going to say two years sounds like she was already a side piece. I think she was. Wow. So his first wife was an activist for civil rights, abortion, birth control. Oh, shit. I just hope that this open marriage was she knew about it and that she was also participating. I bet she insisted upon it would be my guess. I hope so. Lauren's first wife left him to pursue a career in singing, but they remained amicably married and she gave him permission to date other women. Aw, that's so cool. She also introduced him to Astrid. Astrid's really cute. They're both really cute. They even send out Christmas cards together sometimes. Okay, this is all very sweet. I'm like getting a lot of respect from them all. <laughs> For the women. For yeah. the women. So one thing that Taylor picked up that I totally missed, did y'all hear Warren say that he voted for Biden during the meeting? Yeah, I did hear that. I totally missed that. That's not what I would have guessed, but I was wrong. I would have guessed that. Yeah, well, I should have guessed he donated a lot to Obama and Clinton. I didn't know. Yeah, I doubt Munger did. (laughs) Yeah, well, he definitely gave me more Trump vibes. He is not a he's a republican he's in well he's known for being a republican but he's also known for not really like donald trump so i don't know if he voted for him or anything but but yeah i think it was in one of the questions i forget it was like a political question and that's when buffett was saying taxes something that i actually in like appreciated that he said was um that he was being he was like calling out some of the questions by saying like you're asking me a lot about my personal beliefs and feelings Mm -hmm. but i'm here representing uh berkshire hathaway and so these questions aren't entirely relevant to this scenario he's like i'll answer the questions i voted for biden but that's not relevant to this discussion Charlie, what do you want to say? Yeah. Well, you're waving a red bull. Waving a red, red flag in front of a bull. 
<laughs> yeah. Um, should we tap into the Robinhood question and how they feel about people being able to invest in partial stocks and investing with a small amount of money up front? They love it. They think it's great for society. They think morally. it's great. Yes. Civilization at its pinnacle. <laughs> do we have a direct quote? Munger. Um, I didn't do a direct quote, but I just wrote deeply wrong. Civilized men don't want to make our money encouraging people to do things that are bad for people. That's pretty much it. He said he thinks Robin Hood and similar apps are god awful, deeply wrong. We don't want to sell things that are bad for people. And then they went into saying that the states are just the mafia. Yeah. That was hilarious. Um, yeah. Basically yeah. saying that those are equally as bad as state lotteries, which is equally as bad as the mafia. <laughs> which is equally as bad as state no. governments, no. apparently. That, that literally the state lottery state governments are worse than the mafia because they yeah. took it over from the mafia and said, yeah. nope, this is our job. Now. We're not. If, if this sounds crazy, you we didn't. We're not making this up. That is literally what Charlie Munger said. And Warren Buffett. And he Warren said Buffett. that the states are worse for running lotteries because they tax hope, which actually I yeah. thought about. I, I, don't I actually, disagree with that. Yeah. I just think that relating that to Robin Hood and yes. public and all those other apps provides sort of out of touch again. A right. bit. Like a Robin Hood doesn't. Ju- it literally doesn't just rob people. It. <laughs> Robin Hood Rob it like it is providing a platform an accessible platform yeah. to the stock market which is a legal thing to do well and they say that they're like there's nothing illegal about buying options and making 30 trades a day we just don't think you could build a society on it which was not the question <laughs> they literally built an entire company on it like yeah what are you talking about all they do is make gambles on what companies they, are gonna pay yeah. out is that they literally diverted said- into talking about Rome or or something yeah yeah wait no i think rome might have been a little somewhere else um (laughs) back on those major civilizations no they then talked about inflation after that no whenever they talk about decentralizing their management is whenever he started talking about roman empire Like, can you take it out of, like, if you just, like, you just had, like, a no. chart of the different topics discussed? I was telling meeting. Julie, or somebody, maybe it was Phil, I was telling somebody this the other day. I was like, when I was listening to it, I was just sort of sitting here quietly listening to it. And then as soon as it was over, I was like, wait, <laughs> they said a bunch of crazy ass shit in that. And then I had to, like, but, really think about it. And I was like, that yes. thing, was it? That was insane. I feel like that was so crazy. That was crazy. crazy. But that's what I was telling Becca earlier in the kitchen. I was like, but they say it in a way like it's not crazy, which makes me feel crazy. The yeah. delivery is so boring it's that so, they literally could have yes. talked about being abducted by yes. aliens. Yes. And their followers would be like, yes. Yeah. Yes, it's just like when the yes. aliens took over back in the 1700s totally, with the skies of all these lizard people, you know? Like it was just they were saying this batshit crazy shit, shit without any facts to back it up and then just said it like it was fact and everyone just like agreed with them. I'm like, is this what it's like to be an old white man? <laughs> it must be, be nice. <laughs> they said it all without a bathroom break. <laughs> they did. Which is yeah, truly, real heroes. Truly <laughs> amazing. Yeah. And that's why I trust them with my money. Because <laughs> they didn't even have to pee for yeah. four hours. They're not pissing on my dime. And that's what I care about. <laughs> 
<laughs> oh my god but yeah back to the robin hood thing um they were very clearly against these types of platforms and thought they were morally wrong for allowing stupid people to invest their money essentially and have access to the stock market which is again highlights how they like their viewpoint as like listen most people don't know anything about investing they can't be trusted to learn anything about investing and they're gonna make mistakes and they're just gonna gamble all their money away so we know better we know what's best for them we know that it's immoral to allow them to gamble with the little shreds of dollar bills stuffed in their pockets mm-hmm. that they have so like we need to as the rich smart people you know show them the way that they shouldn't even bother trying because they just don't know what they're doing and they're gonna lose all their money mm-hmm. and like we really just don't want you to do that so maybe if you want to buy like I don't know one of our one one hundredth of one of our stocks we might get somewhere but um yeah good luck this is my impression of charlie munger opening his diet coke (laughs) classic uh on the topic of we don't want to sell products that are bad for people And morale. They own how many shares of Coca-Cola? <laughs> well, nine point seven percent, I think, of the business. There's, there's that. no scientific evidence that Coke is bad for you. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> they make a lot of profit. <laughs> sugar. I mean, like that article you sent me about Coca-Cola and Oatly. Sugar is not that bad for you. It like yeah. helps you lose weight. I mean, Charlie Munger's ninety-seven, so obviously it works. <laughs> it obviously <laughs> works. Um, I actually was going to take a deep dive into oil. Are you mm. ready for this? Ooh, let's take us there, baby. I don't know if I want. I don't know if I want to deep dive into oil. Well, then you um, might not want to invest in Berkshire unless I have some Dawn on me to rinse it all yes, off, like a cute duck, like a baby duck. Okay, so I I do need to state I'm in no way making a statement on whether or not we should be relying on oil to the extent that we are, and we're also not diving into. You imminent sound like domain. Warren Buffett. <laughs> No, I would actually, I would love to have an episode where we dive into these types of topics, but this is not a long enough episode for this. So I'm just saying, I'm not making a statement on whether or not oil as an industry is good or bad, or on whether or not pipelines should run through the modern lands of indigenous people. This is a much deeper discussion. But while we're talking morality... As long as oil is part of our energy equation, the environmental and human cost of transporting oil on railroads is way higher than pipelines. But one of Berkshire's biggest holdings is BNSF, which is a rail line that he has made insanely profitable since 2009 when Buffett bought it, primarily by transporting crude oil and coal. And here's the deal. When you put crude oil on a train, your hazardous spill risk is 33 times higher than in mm, a pipeline. Mm, give it to me, Julie. That is yes, 33 yes, times yes. worse for the environment. It also spits out twice as much pollution as a pipeline. Also mm. kind of bad for the environment. And it kills a lot of fucking people when the trains crash with that on it. Mm, mm, pre. And this isn't like an ancient thing where a train crashes and people died. This is like in Quebec in the last 10 years. Mm-hmm. And that's not the only one. There's a whole Wikipedia page about train collisions okay so my real point to that being that like if we're going to talk about morality and caring about people and not selling things that are bad for people right then why is 25 percent of the earnings before taxes of your company coming from a railroad that literally is the worst environmental and social choice compared to the alternative in the same industry 
I'm not even saying that industry needs to go away. Right. I'm just saying you are literally using the worst choice in that same industry. For profit. What if the people driving the train are also eating Dairy Queen while driving the train? <laughs> I bet it was seized candies. <laughs> I think they've got a peanut brittle stash. It's just because, over the intercom. Crunch, 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 crunching. Eat Dairy Queen and drink Coca-Cola and eat seized candy. <laughs> like if you... I while driving make, a train. <laughs> I want to make an image. I have in my head, okay, this like... Like painting of Warren Buffett and Charlie Munger on a train full of crude oil, eating Dairy Queen burgers with Coca-Cola's in their hand <laughs> and candies just like falling off the train. Like I want to take every business they own and put it in one painting and then just label that morality. Maybe I want underwear with that picture on it. Very comic. Yes. I would frame that. <laughs> I yeah, think we should make this. Very I, into that. I think we should make this. Morality. Morality. This is true morality. <laughs> Civilized. Um, well, so that's. But then the thing, they're like though. running over like a casino chip <laughs> and like a pack of smokes. <laughs> <laughs> they seem to claim to know a lot about a lot. And they, and I mean, they make these jokes, right? Of like, no, we don't know much about much, you know, but they like understand that they are the puppet masters of, of just millions of people who follow their own every word right. and take it as true gospel. But what they claimed pure naive, like absolute who could fucking know naivety is environmentalism and impact on environment and global warming, climate change. They're like, we don't, what are you, are you kidding me? We're not scientists. No one's a scientist. No one can know these things. <laughs> no one could don't know, know that. Nothing. No one. And so I think and that ties into their whole conversation about ESGs and about the forms that they choose not to fill out so that they qualify for ESG ETFs, um, which was an interesting question, I thought, at the towards the beginning of the meeting. Um, but also, I don't know, I like respected their response. I think it was a fine response that they think ESGs are a useless form for them to fill out for whatever fucking reason. They don't want their Dairy Queen general managers to have to fill out environmental related forms. They don't want their coal plant companies to have to fill out environmental exactly. forms. Exactly. They and don't want their crude oil coating <laughs> railways. They don't want the children gathering the diamonds from the mines. <laughs> Uh, so, so Becca, I actually agreed with you on the front that, like, from a rational perspective of a parent company that is being asked to make rules that apply to all of their sub companies, even though some of those companies, like a coal plant, is never going to be trying to get into an environmentally friendly ETF. It's weird for the parent company to be like, no, everyone has to do this. So I get from their perspective that they're decentralized and they try not to do a lot of top-down management and that it's unnecessary paperwork for some companies who are actually just sort of being phased out. Also on the environmental front, Berkshire Hathaway, I guess, does have their own environmental targets based on the Paris Accord right. that they've been hitting and, and are continuing to hit. So for them to reroute to these other standards sort of like splits their their effort away from their actual goal. Mm -hmm. That's fine. I understand all of that. I did find it interesting, though, that he was like, those aren't the investors we want. The types of people who invest in ETFs aren't the long-term investors mm -hmm. like we attract mm -hmm. at Berkshire Hathaway. 
But to that, I kind of want to call bullshit. It's absolute bullshit. Because I have a if- lot of ETFs that I plan on holding on to. <laughs> well, specifically the ESG and the SRIs, like the environmentally and socially focused ETFs. These are the things that investors in our sort of age group are looking at because they want to be long-term index fund investors, but they want to filter out companies that don't fit their own environmental or social morals. (laughs) So they're actually planning to buy these types of ETFs for long-term buy and hold. These aren't the types of ETFs people jump in and out of and day trade on. No, we're not going to swing trade on fucking ESG. (laughs) No, it's not. (laughs) Show me me an ESG or SRI EFT. So many letters. (laughs) That is a meme stock. Show me one. None. Because I will invest in it. Yes, I will be there tomorrow. <laughs> we need to make one. <laughs> but so, like, on the one hand, I understood that he's like, these aren't the types of investors we're looking for. But I don't think he understands who the types of investors are that are looking for those products. Yeah. Well, they don't just they don't understand those investors, period. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So I got the rational thing. I also think he was wrong in some of his rational about well, it. Well, it wasn't rational. It was exactly what you said. I <laughs> I don't agree with myself. I agree with you <laughs> um, that this wasn't it was a rational argument, but it was only because he evaded entirely the portions of his company that certainly should require environmental standards. Right. And they talked it through, but like, we don't want a Dairy Queen manager filling this out. What about those pampered chef ladies going to each <laughs> I mean, pampered chef probably could have helped their diversity and inclusion numbers, which was the other shareholder proposal. What does uh. pampered chef sell again? They're just like kitchen gadgets. Just stuff. Kitchen gadgets, yeah. Apparently now they're opening up to gardening uh, things as well. It's true. Grow the food, cut the food. They have like, you know, single use tools for the kitchen. So you have to have one for everything. That's exactly what I was picturing in my head. Wow. (laughs) One of those Tupperware things that only holds a half of an avocado. (laughs) I need that. Uh, but no I think you're right I think that it was in a very evasive response which of course like what else are they going to say like hey we want money not environmental regulation whatever and Greg Abel went into like look here's how we're adhering to the Paris Agreement here's how we're going above and beyond in the Paris Agreement which I think was a reasonable response Yeah. now if you listen to that crazy podcast that I listened to holy shit that man lost his mind social justice warriors he said 17 times so Socialist young people, they said 17 times, which Charlie Munger, bless his heart, he can't keep saying the phrase liberal young people when responding to young, just anything about young people. They're all liberal young people. <laughs> I wish more young people were liberal. <laughs> I wish you were right. I Charlie. have met quite a few that are not. <laughs> so I didn't have an issue with the way that he countered some of those things in the more rational sense of like, okay, it's not a fit for my whole organization. They should be able to pick that themselves. Like, whatever. If you're going to make those arguments, but then don't throw morality in my face on every other Yeah, topic. again, bringing it back to the morality thing, mm-hmm. it just really pissed me off in how many different ways they did that. It, it was, was so hypocritical. Insane. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was awful. Yeah, it seemed unnecessary, too. Like, I mean, I know there was a couple questions where people were like, just tell us why you invest in shit. And, uh, Buffett was like, no, <laughs> it's like our whole thing. Um, but yeah, it, it seemed like 
it was weird. There was a lot. There was a, a very heavy tone of morality when discussing like pretty much every topic, which I thought was weird. Interesting. Oh, I'm starting to remember what I was going to what I was thinking. So one of the questions, this guy, like when he was talking about the coal, like in the environmental question, clearly phrased it like he wanted he thought that he was like the smart man that was like fucking idiot young kids investing. Do you remember what I'm talking about? This guy was like that long question. That long question. It was worded in beautiful rhetoric. Right. Like he it was very clear what he wanted the answer to be, you know, like he expected Charlie and and um and Buffett to agree with him. Do we have a the way that he do we have the it. question? Um, oh, I wrote it probably down take two minutes to say, but <laughs> yeah, I, I wrote it down somewhere. I can't find it, but like it was basically yeah, it was like so. What do you think about you know all of this? Uh, all of these young people, you know, trying to discredit coal and blah blah blah. It was like basically to like that extent. But I did think it was interesting because the way that I interpreted their response seemed almost like. They kind of didn't fully agree with him because they were like, yeah, we know coal's getting phased out. Like we're basically trying to position our company in a way where we still have some investment in it, but where it's becoming less and less. And we're looking at renewable energy sources and like different energy options, essentially, is what he said. But the way that the guy worded it, you could tell he wanted them to be like, yeah, fucking Cole's here to stay. You know, like mm-hmm. it was such a clear, uh, what is it? Yeah. Question. yeah, exactly. Yes, exactly. exactly. One of my favorite Munger quotes that I wrote down when he was talking about communism <laughs> at some point. He said, I don't care if the cat is black or white, as long as it catches mice. And I was like, what? I actually kind of dug that. But that's when he's, rest- yeah, talking about Chinese communism. I, like, I, I was like, what does that mean when it comes to communism? Like, you well, don't care if it's he was like, communism or or uh, not communism, as long as capitalism reigns. Exactly. That was exactly what he was saying. Yeah, that seems... To be right, yeah. <laughs> oh man, that man is funny. <laughs> I also thought of a quote that I wanted that we hadn't talked about yet, but I did laugh um, at the Elon Musk stuff. Oh yeah, my God. that was funny. That was crazy that someone straight up asked, "What do you think about Elon Musk?" Yeah, and like, hey, would you would you would insure, insure yeah. hi, would you insure his rocket to Mars? And Warren Buffett was like, "Well, if he's on it, I would talk about it." <laughs> Yeah, and that is- Buffett was like, "How much? I mean, how much money? You give me, give me a lot of money, then sure." Yeah, it depends what and, the premium is. Yeah, and Munger was like, "No." <laughs> and what did Ajit? Ajit said something. Is like, I, "I would not take that. I would not take advantage of that situation." Yes, that like is that. what Ajit. He was like, "No, thank you." Oh, I remember I the other it. one that I wanted to mention was when somebody asked um, if. Buffett's like main thing is long term holding like index funds. Right. Then how can you convince your stockholders that owning your yeah. stock over that is a good idea? And Munger was basically like, I believe our stock's better than the market. Mm-hmm. And Buffett was like, I've never once recommended that. <laughs> and I was yeah. like, Oh, I really enjoyed hearing them disagree on that point. I yeah. thought it was very his response was very interesting because again, he gave like an 18 minute long answer that was kind of convoluted, but it was basically like watered down. It was like, Well, I don't really recommend it unless you're just someone that fangirls over us. Like he basically said, Our shareholders are very specific specific people that invest in our company because they believe in us as a company. Mm-hmm. Uh, normally, though, I would just say invest in the S&P 
500 because nothing will beat that. But if you know, if you just really like us, then you should invest in our company. And I was like, isn't that how like all investing in companies works? Like <laughs> people just really like the company and believe in it. So they invest in it. But yet you're telling people not to do that unless it's your company they're investing in. Yeah, because they do say over and over again in this interview and many, many others of like, you don't anticipate that you're smart enough to be able to pick your stocks. Just go with the index funds. But our stock is better than the index <coughs> funds, if anyone's yeah, asking. I, mean, I feel like Buffett <coughs> didn't really say that to buy their stock, but Munger, no, defi- so. Munger definitely did. Yeah, I think Warren Buffett is really hard on... I mean, he is very clear about believing in the index funds. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, and you no, know, he literally just said people buy their stock because they like them, because their shareholders are essentially like rich millionaires that, want, that believe in Berkshire Hathaway. I don't get their friendship. It seems like they like banter with each other and that seems fun, but they like, I don't see how they get along so well. It seems like Charlie would truly hate Warren. So I think the relationship, based on some of the other quotes I've heard about things like Munger has said about Buffett over the years, is that Charlie sees Warren as someone who can learn things exceptionally quickly. I think Charlie Munger sees Warren Buffett as someone that he has shaped over the years. Mm. So the distance between them has grown smaller Mm -hmm. because Munger has been able to sort of shape and manipulate Buffett Mm -hmm. throughout their relationship. So it's not that they are far apart from each other. It's that they're less and less far apart from each other, even though they will never converge. Right. And I also just think they acknowledge they're both smart people and respect each other, even if they have different opinions on things. But one of the actually one of the quotes from the pre-show, someone did quote Buffett saying Charlie Munger made me a better person. So that is something Buffett apparently has said about Charlie Munger. Yeah, I mean, it makes I think it would make a lot of sense for a huge conglomerate to be successful because it has two heads that have very different views of the world. Mm -hmm. I think it seems like a pretty balanced situation. Well, very is a strong word, but yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, they vote for different people. <laughs> it's like if you have a white cat and a black cat. <laughs> but they both catch mice. But they're both cats. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Fair point, fair point. <laughs> I think that I find myself wanting to give these men allowances simply because I anticipated so much worse when I was sitting down to watch this. I also did. Yeah, and as I watched, I was like, Oh, like Charlie Munger is a grumpy old man, but he's like your standard grumpy old man. And Warren Buffett seems like a pleasant little cherub. Um, and they both, and, and so I, I find myself wanting to like them. And then, like, of course, once you're removed in, like, you know, you reflect back on the ins- absolute bananas things that they said that sitting in a waiting room, no one is thinking about how much their health care is going to cost in America. <laughs> uh, you know, yeah, you're reminded that many rich people who hoard billions of dollars with their money out of circulation come across as normal, average and kind people. <laughs> but if we're talking as they do, I'm not even saying we are talking about it. I'm saying they're talking about morality constantly mm-hmm. and that they seem to be the holders of it. Mm-hmm. And they seem so like glaringly contradictory yeah. to what a reasonable person would call moral. Yes. It's a trip. 
That is a trip. I think that is an excellent summary of how I feel about watching that interview. I sort of left with this reminder that one thing that's proven true throughout history is that what is considered moral is constantly an evolution. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So what is moral now is like a much tighter standard than 100 years ago, than 1,000 years ago, than 5,000 years ago. And these dudes are approaching 100 years old. So personal opinion... I just think their morals are getting out of date. Yeah. They're just not keeping up with the times. Yeah. And also not bothering to keep up with the times for obvious reasons. If I was 97 years old, I'm not going to learn what fucking blockchain is. But stop asking me about it (laughs) in a public setting. (laughs) I'm not going to be like, that's disgusting. (laughs) (laughs) This was, okay, this was another thing that I thought was a great reminder for my future self. Like, I need to write myself a letter if I make it to a very advanced age where I say, Remember, even smart people can fall behind and reach this point where they don't understand what's going on. Try to be chill. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, that's a good little pep talk. I'm not 97, but I'm oftentimes, I don't know what the word is, humbled about things even now. And I'll be like, I'll say something and someone will be like, uh, oh, that could be seen as offensive to this person. I'd be like, really? Oh my God, I had no idea. Like, I just learned that and I'll be careful moving forward kind of thing. So I feel like, yeah, you don't have to be 90 to kind of not know everything. Right. The difference was your reaction was, was correcting it, was yeah. like, oh, thank you for letting me know. I'm going to reconcile that with my previous beliefs that I could, you know, say whatever. Um, Whereas their reaction is, I don't get it. That's wrong. That is wrong for society. The devil's work. Yeah. Oh, so ridiculous. So should we talk about buybacks? I don't really. Okay, so buybacks is when they sell a company and then they buy it back at a lower price. No, no, no. So it's when they sell shares of their company, right? So let's say. Oh, and then they buy back those shares. Yes. At a lower price. So there are less. There are less. Less. Why can I not talk? (laughs) Less to be known. (laughs) Okay, so if they had, this is obviously an arbitrary number, but if there were a thousand stocks out in the market and they started making a ton of money and they decided to buy 900 of those stocks back, there's only 100 stocks in circulation. Suddenly, those 100 stocks represent the entire value of their company. And they, those 100 stocks are way more valuable than they were when those 900 others were in circulation. Right. So it intensifies the value of the stocks that are in circulation. That Did makes that make? Yeah. So that's what a buyback is. And what's so interesting is that there has been a lot of discussion, I think particularly in the last year, about how immoral these stock buybacks are because I, I can't remember if it was like the airline industry or something like that. The first time I remember really getting wind was the airlines. Right. And and you can correct me, Maggie, if I'm wrong about this. But essentially what happened is the airline companies, they were like accepting government bailout money and buying back stocks in their company that then increased the value of the stocks they themselves held so that they could cash out. Yes. And the other argument about why it was bad is because they were rather than having like an emergency fund or like money in order to prepare for something like this or, you know, giving dividends or, you know, whatever, using your money in order to better your company, instead of doing any of those things, 
they were shuffling tons of money into stock buybacks rather than any of those other things that could have also benefited the company or benefited the company in a different way, maybe a way that would have prevented a government bailout to begin with. Right. That's what it was. Yes. I think I had my order wrong. But yes, it was that in the years leading up to these crises that the airline industries have had, they were doing these stock buybacks instead of putting some emergency fund aside for the crises that routinely happen, even if it's not the scale of COVID, there have been massive hits to the airline industry every decade, you know, Um, so they should know better than to be running cashless. But because they are considered critical infrastructure, they know the government will bail them out. So instead of covering their own ass in advance of these crises, they decided to sort of cash out by doing these stock buybacks that intensified the amount of the company they own themselves. Right. I didn't really fully understand that because they were talking about how certain companies like gave back the money because they knew they would look bad. And like how is Berkshire Hathaway? They look bad if they accept money from the government because everyone sees that they're worth like billions. I didn't really fully understand what they were talking about there. So they did they didn't take government money because of that or they did? Well, I think that I can't you have to elaborate more on what their points were. But basically, they were saying that buybacks can be moral in some situations, but not all situations. Right. So I think this is two different topics. And Mm -hmm. so, yes, what they were saying is that buybacks are moral in some situations and immoral in others. So in the case of the airline industry, they're saying flat out this was immoral, Mm -hmm. even though for the shareholders who had stocks, it had the exact same effect as Berkshire's buybacks, which is anybody who is a long-term investor in that, it intensified the value of their individual stocks. So like the actual quotes from Munger were that if you're repurchasing stock just to bullet higher, it's deeply immoral. <laughs> but if you're repurchasing stock because it's a fair thing to do in the interest of existing shareholders, it's a highly moral act. And the people that are criticizing it are bonkers. And now, what are the differences between those two actions? <laughs> it's only your intention. Your intention. That is the, literally the, the outcome, only difference. Yeah, the outcome is literally the same. Mm-hmm. Either way, in his own words, if you're buying back the stocks, it's going to bull it higher. But if you are doing it out of the good of your heart for, for the your right shareholders, reasons. then it's moral. But Give those me a other people. Break. This isn't the goddamn bachelor. We're all all here for the right reasons. Yes. So, (laughs) please. Yeah. You're here to be famous and rich. We all know it. Kylie, get a new house, bro. Yeah. And (laughs) so, and get a new house, bro. (laughs) Just to put this in context with real numbers of the effect that these buybacks had on Berkshire's value. Yeah. They did. $6.6 billion worth of buybacks just in the first quarter of this year. And that was after last year where they did a record-breaking $24.7 billion in buybacks. And that drove their shares up more than 18% in 2021 to a record high, which I think would be the definition of bullying it up. So when they say that their stocks are better than the market, (laughs) what they're saying is we made our stocks better than the market. (laughs) 
back, guys. Buy them. Now buy it. Buy them. <laughs> wow. It's amazing the, the mental backflips you have to do yes. to justify all of your actions. But they did it morally. Right. We did it for the right reasons. We're here for the right reasons, y'all. Yes. We here to we're here to fuck the U.S. economy for the right reasons. Uh, can't even. <laughs> uh man. Okay, so uh, Jules wanted to move on to what was it called? The shareholder proposals, proposals that were voted down by what would seem to be a large margin during oh. the actual shareholder they meeting. They blew over that so quick. Too. Yeah, it was like a two minute of a six hour meeting. <laughs> right. Yeah, serve it to us, Julie, because that shit blew my mind. Okay. So the two proposals were, they, they were both related to disclosures that their companies, their, all their sub-companies, would have to fill out and file this year so that investors could have that information about the individual companies. Mm-hmm. One was a climate change disclosure, which they, these are both standard disclosures across like a lot of different industries where companies fill these out so that we can rank one company against another based on their environmental practices in sort of a standardized fashion. Right. So the first one was about climate change. The second one was about diversity and inclusion. And the numbers looked really stark. They basically came out essentially the same. And that was 25% of the shareholder votes were for adding these disclosures. And 75% were against. <laughs> which, which, mind which tells you exactly who is investing in Berkshire Hathaway. <laughs> or does it? Well, see, that's what I thought. But then I looked up how much voting power Warren Buffett has. And Warren Buffett has almost 32% of the aggregate votes. Wow. And how much, do we know how much Munger has? So no, I didn't get, I didn't have enough time in my crazy frantic research manic period before running over. I didn't have enough time to look at the other board members to see who else are like major stakeholders in this. I'm going to go ahead and guess that shareholders have 25% voting power. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I I think, I think there's probably a little bit more than that. Do they have to disclose what they voted? No, but on the ballot... Uh, okay, yeah. So this is the other crazy thing. I pulled up the actual the actual ballot that the shareholders fill out. It's got like proposal one and proposal two. And above the voting section, it says the board of directors recommends a vote against item two in bold. So right before you vote, so you know, it tells you what their vote's going to be because they're recommending you vote with them. Wow. So not only did the numbers look really blown out because the chairman of the board, Warren Buffett, is voting against it with almost 32% of the no, vote. Not just chairman, God, Julie. But God. because he is seen as God, there are people who, without even using their own brain to consider these things, there are some people who will just vote with him because they believe he is the all knowing power. So that blew my mind because if you take Buffett's 31% out and just his, not even the other major controlling board members who may have a large voting stake, but that brings the numbers down to 25% for versus 44% against, which is a lot closer than 75%. And we can bet that some of that 44% is the rest of the board and some of that 44% aren't voting based on actually looking at the... Um, proposals that were set forth just voting in line with Warren Buffett. 
I'm trying to find out how much is, the other board members have. Uh, but I did find, an, this is a dated paper, but I just have to say how they phrased it. Charlie Munger's brood, eight, <laughs> eight children and dozens of grandchildren, wow. own more than one person of the voting power for Berkshire Hathaway. I just really love that they called it a brood. <laughs> a brood. Yeah, I'm going to guess he has a good amount of voting power. Interesting. Yeah. So what does that actually shake out to if would be your best guess in terms of like how much power the board has? Like what kind of percentage do you think they have in terms of like voting power versus stakeholders? I don't know. I, I'll look it up and I'll put the real breakdown in the show notes. But my gut feeling just on taking Buffett out is that the real result, if you're looking at only the general shareholder population, mm-hmm. is that they're probably pretty evenly split. Mm-hmm. between being for and against these issues, mm-hmm. which is a much different picture than we saw in the actual meeting looking mm-hmm. at a, you know, one to three sort of ratio. Right. That's well, and it was just crazy that they didn't talk about it more. I mean, no, they just so before, blew over it. Yes. Before Buffett did it, he was like, so you should go check out the website where the people who've set forth the proposals have stated their arguments and we've stated our arguments for our position. After talking and five straight hours nonstop. Yes. And I, I get it. Elon Musk warranted a five minute fucking rant, but we can't <laughs> even talk about our actual proposals for our company. Mm-hmm. Okay. So I will say the one difference here being that this is the actual like government required meeting. Mm-hmm. that you have to take minutes for and file them. So it usually is something that runs pretty snippy, mm-hmm. but this was excessively short to not even get into it. Um, but yeah, he was basically like, go check out the website and read both arguments. I think they're both compelling, which I th- thought was actually like, I don't know if he's as against it. I think he's against it from his like rational i'm not gonna make everyone do paperwork side of things. right it wasn't like a, i think i don't i don't care about you know diversity it was just like i from a business perspective this isn't make sense right but instead of stating that during this time he was just like go read it on the website and okay tell us the tally and yeah. we're done close and meeting adjourned against okay moving on meeting adjourned talk to you later bye yeah. and then the after meeting where people fucking suck their dicks some more oh my god okay so <laughs> tell us about the person you didn't like in the after game show post-game. oh i'm pretty sure it was the same guy that you Whitney didn't like. something yeah it was the, the main person who talked i don't remember his name i did not old white guy some old white guy who was just like so into how well the meeting went and had nothing but good things to say. And I think the quote that we had made fun of earlier in our recording was that, you know, it's very impressive that two old men can just answer questions without having a bathroom break. (laughs) It's like how fucking out of touch are you? The bar is very low. For but you know what? Men. I'm glad for once people are commenting on men's bodies <laughs> <laughs> and their bodily functions, and not just women. Yeah, okay. if it was a woman, they're like, oh, "Did she have to change her tampon during the entire shareholder meeting? <laughs> she didn't change her tampon once during the entire meeting. <laughs> that is wild." Except, what a woman! It, well, and his quote was actually even more sports-like okay, than that quote. We just saw a 90-year-old man backed up by a 97-year-old man go for four consecutive hours without even a bathroom break. 
Oh, it was, that was awful. Great. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like it's the first time these two men have sat in a chair and talked about money for four hours. Right. Yes. How'd they do it? Have yes. they had any practice oh my at God. all? Yes. And so I pointed out that old men have more of a problem being able to pee. <laughs> Than not peeing for four hours. Because as you age, typically your prostate grows and starts blocking your urinary tract. So them not peeing for four hours is not some momentous occasion. I like that Julie's argument is that we shouldn't be celebrating. We should be concerned. (laughs) (laughs) They're wearing fruit of the loom. Everybody knows that. (laughs) But don't worry. They won't have to wait in the waiting room and worry about their finances when they go get their prostate shaved down later so they can pee. (laughs) Prostate shaving? (laughs) Ouch. That sounds so painful. Apparently, um, BlackRock, like the big index fund, uh, they uh, own 8% of Berkshire I was Hathaway. literally just looking at a breakdown of the oh. top 10 owners of Berkshire Hathaway. Well, they Ooh. voted pro-disclosure. They won. They were... They were 8% of the 25% of voting for the disclosure for environmental and diversity. I would have to assume I wonder that... Bill and Melinda Gates voted. Well, I would have to assume that that was a PR move. Because they did Black make a Rock, right? Yeah. BlackRock has been ripped a new one the last mm-hmm. few years, with good reason. <laughs> um, and if they already know that the majority stakeholder is going to vote against it, and that a lot of people are going to vote with him, it's probably a pretty safe PR move, even if they weren't for it in reality, right? To get the PR boost from voting for it, Julie's, they know. Julie plays a lot of chess. <laughs> Clearly, you just know all the moves before Every- <laughs> you anticipating the moves. No, that's it's, a quantum. Wait, thing. Can you- it's, it's just like I know exactly the essence of everything before the statement. <laughs> Thirty seconds. She knows. Oh my black god! Black. I want that. That should be like an autumn candle. I just think everyone has ulterior motives. <laughs> well, they now do. the most interesting thing about this though is now I'm having to rethink my math on the twenty five percent for. And take that 8% out. So can you remind me what BlackRock, who they are again? I know we've talked about this before and I can't remember. They're like Vanguard. They have Mm -hmm. the big index funds. And so that would make them a... Investing platform. Thank you. No, I don't know. They're like... (laughs) The Vanguard group owns almost 10% of Berkshire Hathaway. Yes. So so BlackRock and Vanguard are direct competitors. Mm. But Vanguard has great PR and BlackRock has said some pretty bad PR the last few years. Mm. I think largely related to the Keystone Pipeline. Is that correct? I don't know. Didn't tell you. Unless we're talking about Key Lime. I got nothing for you. <laughs> National Investment Management Corporation based in New York. Initially a risk management and fixed income institutional asset manager. World's largest asset manager with $8.67 trillion in assets. Um, the the knowings that I have of BlackRock are in that index fund podcast, Let's Know Things, that we've mentioned before. Mm-hmm. And he talks a lot about BlackRock's power because of how much mm-hmm. they own in index funds. Right. And actually, it is interesting that they decided to vote instead of abstaining, because part of what was brought up in Let's Know Things yeah. was that these massive index fund companies that we are purchasing index funds from are major shareholders who have voting ability and could sh- change the shape of the market 
to fit our like environmental and social priorities. But oftentimes they just abstain from voting, even though they could be sort of directing the market in the way their investors want their ownership of those companies to go. Yeah, it's it's probably been it's probably been like a year since I listened to that episode of that podcast. But I thought what they were saying in that podcast is that BlackRock has been being pressured into making more more of a stance. Right. And so now we're seeing it, it looks like. Okay, so then maybe that 8% doesn't have to come out of the 25% because maybe BlackRock had people vote on the proposal who were invested in index funds that are then invested in Berkshire. So maybe that 8% actually represents the votes of the through voting from their actual investors, the general population. I'd accept. So interesting. Yeah, that is interesting. So complicated. Yeah, there's a lot of there's a lot of pieces there, but well, and it's funny because it is all politics. Like when you break it down, you can really see all the lines. Like if we were to put on a wall and cover it with yarn, it would look crazy. <laughs> and it's always funny. Right? Yeah, <laughs> Rome cats, <laughs> Rome cats, <laughs> seize candy, communism, <laughs> seize candy. <laughs> Trains full of crude oil. Coca-Cola moral good? (laughs) Question mark? Yeah, I, I it's just, just an Elon Musk photo. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> just all in the center. <laughs> I it is it's so interesting to me because it just it's a game. Like I know we've said this before, but these are powerful men playing a fucking game. And it's just all bullshit. It was never gamble though. Gamble's immoral. Right, never. gambling's immoral, but playing with uh the U.S. economy's money is uh totally, totally fine. Totally fine. Well, and yeah, like us, uh, your average Joe, quote unquote, gambling, aka investing, uh, his <laughs> stimulus check is objectively wrong yeah (laughs) he shouldn't have such ready access to a platform that allows him to just willy-nilly yeah although buffett did say that he was all for the stimulus checks he did he was very pro the peasants a little bread (laughs) yeah he he was he was pro the fed in general he was like they did a standout job we could have really been bad he also said though he knew that hundreds of thousands of people were watching this and he didn't want to make people angry yeah no but there's no reason for him to not be in favor of the government taking tax money right and giving it back to the general population to spend in the market either by purchasing products from the companies that he owns or by investing in the market driving up prices of companies that he owns yep there is no reason for him to not be totally in favor of the money being redistributed in that fashion because it's all coming back to him yeah hey Today, we tackled (laughs) the Berkshire 2021 Berkshire Hathaway annual meeting, (laughs) stakeholder meeting. He passes it to Charlie. Charlie holds it. He holds it. (laughs) He tosses it. I dropped the ball. Muffin dropped the ball. Oh, it's a fumble. No. This is the post post game show. (laughs) I'm Becca. I'm Taylor. Maggie. I'm Jules. (laughs) Thanks for joining us. We spent a lot of time on this one, and we're very excited to hear your thoughts. So please like, 
comment, subscribe, hit us up on Instagram, Vaginance Podcast. Hit us up at our website, vaginance.com. Send us a voice memo. Tell us your deep thoughts, your fantasies. Erotic. <laughs> Are you <laughs> moral <laughs> about Charlie Munger? And if you've actually written fanfic about oh Warren Buffett and Charlie Munger, I would absolutely I would pay you to read it. So please Please send it to us. If you had to choose between funding Elon Musk's trip to Mars or riding a train full of crude oil, what would you pick? <laughs> answer that question. We'll put a answer a question. It's the, an impossible conundrum. The poll is up in our stories on Instagram, so go vote. What's more moral? <laughs> Which one has a better insurance policy? Oh man! Um, Which one do yeah. I get more free, Dairy Queen? Because that's the one I'm picking. But <laughs> yes, Dairy Queen and their dairy-free options. Um, thanks for joining us on this, y'all. We really appreciate it, and we look forward to hearing from you. Yeah. Bye. 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 Bye.